0: places together. Here, we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Here's a story for you. A story called Aleph to A Grace-Filled Recovery. This week's episode is our final one in our series on Hebrew poetry, Olive Tatav. Today's guest shares vulnerably from her own experience of recovery from unhealthy alcohol use and how she helps others in their journeys of health and sobriety. I know that the pandemic brought out all sorts of unhealthy coping mechanisms for everyone, myself included. So I hope that this conversation will offer you grace comfort and inspiration to care well for yourself all of the while reminding you that god is with you however you are including when you are in the throes of addiction struggling through recovery or making peace in sobriety today i'm so happy to welcome pastor megan Clapp to all places together meg is also a lutheran pastor and she lives in minnesota where she serves as an associate pastor Meg graduated from Luther Seminary with a Master's in Divinity and also has a Bachelor's of Art in Religion from Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. Meg is also a certified sober coach, which is something she'll be telling us a lot about today. Meg is married to Eric, who is also a pastor, and together they have two kids, Lily and Milo. In her free time, Meg loves to be outside, especially by the lake or when she's hiking. She also reads and does yoga. Welcome to All Places Together, Meg. We're so happy you're here.
1: Hugh, I'm really excited to be here. Well,
0: so the first question has to be, what is a sober coach? This is something that I've never heard of um, before encountering you, so tell us.
1: What is a sober coach is a great question uh, I didn't really know before I got involved in the sober and recovery communities either. Um, so if you think about the various types of coaching that's available, uh, you can have business coaching, you can have, um, clergy coaches is a big thing, right? Life coaches. It's a division of that kind of helping, uh, profession. So a sober coach is someone who will help you set goals and then make steps to reach those goals. So two of my favorite questions to ask people in this process is, what is your ideal life? What does that look like? Mm. Then the question that follows that is, what is the next right step to make that happen? And together we create a plan in small steps to move you toward your goal
0: those are really powerful questions
1: yeah we often don't think about those two questions on our own or when we do we get overwhelmed with I see this vision but I don't know how to get there so my role is really to walk alongside and be a guide and offer support and encouragement uh, as you take those next right steps uh, to reach that goal.
0: As an adult, it is only recently that I have begun to encounter coaching as like in my professional life or even in like my health journey as well. I think in my 20s, I just thought coaches were for sports. And then once you were done with Mm -hmm. sports, like, That was it. And so it's really powerful to think about having that one-on-one coaching relationship for other areas of life. And it makes sense that recovery would be an area of life where one would really need support and where coaching Mm -hmm. could really be a benefit.
1: Yeah. And the thing about recovery coaching is that your goal doesn't necessarily have to be that you want to be sober i've had a few clients who wanted to reduce their drinking in a particular way and we made a plan together to do that over the course of a series of sessions and they um, they were able to reach that goal through their work and it was wonderful to be alongside them as they celebrated those goals so sober coaching or recovery coaching Sometimes gets a stigma, right? You you don't maybe think you have a problem. So one of the gifts of sober and recovery coaching is that you don't have to identify as a traditional alcoholic uh, wherever you are in this relationship with your drinking you can make changes and uh, This work together um, gives us an opportunity to generally increase health and wellness and develop different coping strategies for stress uh, other than picking up a drink. Yeah, that's so powerful
0: and interesting also to learn that you don't have to be an alcoholic or maybe you're not ready to like take on that label, but anyone can have a really complicated relationship with alcohol, even if they're not addicted. And so I guess my next question is, Mm -hmm. what's the difference between Sober Coaching and then Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, I mean, probably one of the most prevalent recovery groups in our country today?
1: Yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous is program-based, so there are set steps that you follow. Many of us are familiar with the 12 steps, uh, particularly the first one that you Admit that you are powerless over alcohol and maybe you know some of the later steps about forgiveness and making amends and things like that. There are lots of different programs out there, including Alcoholics Anonymous, and that works really, really well for some folks. Coaching is less programmatic. There are not prescribed steps. We create the plan together. One of the things that is sometimes Uh, Criticism of Alcoholics Anonymous is that if you relapse or go back to drinking, you lose all your days and start over at day one. Oh,
0: so people get like those chips for how long they've been sober. And so if you, you would lose that.
1: Yes. So I currently have almost two years of sobriety myself. And if for whatever reason I was struggling to cope, and I decided to have a beer tonight. If I were part of Alcoholics Anonymous, the next meeting I went to, I would lose, I'd have to turn in all of my chips, Mm. and I would receive a new day one chip. For some people, that is motivating. For others, it is discouraging. Sober coaching allows flexibility. And growth. uh, There's a sense of grace to it where instead of saying, Oh, I really messed up. I had a relapse. It's, I had a data point. I learned something. Why did I make that choice? What were the factors surrounding it? And how can I move forward in a new way? So, for example, maybe a client's goal is 30 days of sobriety. And they they're going along and there's a bump in the road and they have a drink and then the next time we meet together they confess that we create a new plan and then by the end of the 30 days maybe they have 25 out of 30 days sober they may not have met the initial goal but that's still a large percentage of that time so we celebrate those 25 days, and we learn from the days where there was, it's called a slip, I don't love that language, I think it's still a negative framing of it, but where a choice was made to drink. And then we move forward and create new goals uh, based on those learnings from those days where choices were made to drink.
0: So it sounds like, I mean, both of these ways, and I'm sure that there's even more ways to um, develop a healthier relationship with alcohol or to go and move into sobriety than just sober coaching and AA. Um, But it sounds like each of these ways can have really life-changing results and are going to be better for different people, like depending on their fit or their life circumstance or how their brain works. And so I love this conversation to be able to bring knowledge that uh, recovery and sobriety is not a one size fits all lifestyle, is that the right
1: Mm -hmm. word? I'm not sure. (laughs) Yes, absolutely, a lifestyle, a mindset shift. There are so many ways to go about pursuing recovery or sober curiosity or trying out a life without alcohol. There are meeting groups like AA that are programmatic and have steps. There are meeting groups that are based on sharing stories and providing support and encouragement and tips and tricks for those early days or some of the bigger things that come later in the work of recovery as you're uncovering those pieces that you were trying to drown out with the alcohol. And and there's also, one-on-one counseling and coaching. The key piece of all of them is community. Mm. Uh, Sobriety and recovery cannot happen without community.
0: Yeah, and I think so. I think that's true in really so many areas of growth and development um, and with faith too, that the really hard things in life we can move through them in healthier ways when we are doing it together
1: Mm -hmm. yes
0: so i know that there is a lot of stigma associated with addiction and recovery groups and with drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. so the church i was at before launching all places together was one of many congregations in our small town that hosted an aa group on a weekly basis but they were actually the only one in the town who would allow Narcotics Anonymous to use their space. Um, None of the other churches wanted the NA community um, to be in their space and Mm -hmm. that provided a really meaningful connection with the leaders of NA and I um, Mm -hmm. that we were able to kind of share that. And um, I was pastoring there during the early pandemic. And so we really, did everything we could to try to support that group because we knew it was life and death for them.
1: hmm yes.
0: Yeah, and, and so I get torn in between this uh, stigma that is, is associated with these groups, but then also knowing like how present God is during AA and NA meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like folks have shared how much they feel God's power, in the church basement, when they're sharing their stories and working through the steps together over that coffee, but then they'll come upstairs and it's just like a totally different vibe or like they show up on a Sunday morning Mm -hmm. and the community of Sunday worshipers feels so different than the community that gathers in the recovery group. And so Mm -hmm. I just wonder, like, have you heard these types of comments? Is this is something you have felt? And then what can people of faith learn from recovery groups? That was like three questions, so feel free to move through those however <laughs> makes sense to you.
1: This is, this is such a wonderful question. I love this so much. Um, yes, there is a lot of stigma around AA and NA and other recovery groups. There's a fear there uh, on both sides of acceptance, of, I think, because of the stigma that folks who are in active addiction can be harmful to themselves or others or property or things like that, it causes a hesitation for some churches and the use of their buildings. And what you said about it being life and death is really true. And we forget. If we haven't been part of this community, we don't know or we forget that people are coming to meetings because they want the new life that comes on the other side and in the process of recovery. They are longing for a place to connect, and that connection is crucial to that new life for them. The thing that I didn't understand before I was in recovery myself was this idea that addiction isn't a choice. Yeah. There's a saying in some groups that it's not my fault, but it is my responsibility. So what that means mm. is that addictive substances are going to create an addicted population. You probably know a lot of people who can drink, quote unquote, normally, have one and be done. And there are others who one is too many and a thousand is never enough. These are really cliche things I'm throwing out here from the sobriety and recovery community. I
0: think though for people who maybe haven't really engaged with this as much yet, but they are really helpful and I think there's still wisdom in them even if they are cliches, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so our brains go, they have pathways that develop. We know this from all sorts of things, right? you practice playing the piano and your brain develops a pathway. And so you have muscle memory and you can memorize the keys and suddenly you can play all sorts of beautiful music. Addiction is similar. Alcohol creates a pathway in the brain and it's the pathway of least resistance to a temporary numbing, Mm -hmm. a temporary spike in dopamine that overrides our natural brain chemistry. And over time, we create then a tolerance, right? And so we drink more just to achieve that same level of numbness or the same high or, or whatever the substance is. And if you talk to a lot of folks who are deep into addiction, they're not having fun. They're not enjoying their life. They are desperate for something different, but their brain And their bodies sometimes cannot operate without that because the pathway has been has created such a groove uh, in their brain.
0: Yeah. And and then the withdrawal symptoms of coming off of so many of those different substances are also physically, I mean, exhausting and, and can be dangerous in and of itself, even just the process of detoxing.
1: Yes, and so I will say that if someone is physically addicted to alcohol, a sober coach is not the pathway they want to be taking. Mm. They okay. need to be in a supervised medical environment because it is extraordinarily dangerous to detox mm-hmm. from alcohol. Uh, you can die from it even more than some of the other drugs we know about. So if that is where a person would find themselves medical care and medical withdrawal and medical recovery is the appropriate path for them. Now, addiction is always a spectrum. So if you find yourself like me drinking a bottle and a half, two bottles of wine a night, I wasn't physically addicted to alcohol in the same way uh, that someone on that far end of the spectrum might be. So my work has been to retrain that pathway, to forge a new pathway in my brain to restore those natural dopamine levels and let the other pathway of addiction or alcohol dependence grow over with uh, disuse. Yeah. And, And like I said, there's a lot of space in between those two things. But these things like AA, things like sober coaching and the other recovery type programs. uh, Those are, they're really helpful for that brain retraining and that mindset shift. So, okay. That was a departure from your questions.
0: That's okay. It was all (laughs) really important. And so I guess from within those groups then of people who are doing this really vulnerable work of talking about you know, what their triggers are and what is leading them to make these choices. Mm -hmm. What can people of faith learn from these groups that are doing this work?
1: The thing that I've found in recovery spaces is there is a profound vulnerability. There is authentic confession. We come to each other and we are honest and we are received without judgment. We are received just as we are, and together we say, thank you for sharing. We're so glad you're here. If folks ask for advice, we'll offer advice, but otherwise we sit with them, and we honor their story, and it gives us courage then to share our story. There was a meeting I was in. I'm part of a group that is meeting-based, and it's called Sober Mom Squad, and it's moms from all over, international, uh, all over the United States. And there's meetings every day. And one of the meetings, someone confessed. They opened up with their own story and their own confession of something that had come about because of their drinking. And that's all I'm really at liberty to to say. There is very much an element of confidentiality in these groups. Of course. And we want to honor and support that. Yes. And as this person shared, suddenly hands were raising one after the other after the other. And the next person shared and confessed something. And the next person shared and the next person shared. And with each confession, these were all confessions, all, some of them secrets that they had never told anyone else. And the more people shared, the more people were raising their hands to offer their own confessions. And it's one of the most powerful experiences, I have goosebumps even talking about it, of the movement of the Holy Spirit and having a place to confess and share, knowing that we could come back to that group and our relationship would be changed, but in a positive way. Mm. Because we knew each other better and could better support one another. and. We don't get to experience that in the same way upstairs in the sanctuary. No, we no, not at all. We no. there's words that we say we do have confession and forgiveness, but that practice of individual confession in community is not something as Lutherans and many other mainline denominations don't do. And we are scared to because when you come to church, there's an idea that you have to be perfect, Mm -hmm. that you can't let other people see what's going on, or you have to put on appearances so that people think you belong. And I don't know where that came from, and I'm sad that it exists. And part of my ministry work outside of sober coaching is attempting to build places like that within church community. Not necessarily based on recovery, but That act of urgent confession, the need for support, the need for encouragement, and just being able to come exactly the way you are with exactly what you need to say and be surrounded by love and care and compassion. But it's hard work.
0: (laughs) It is so hard. It is so hard. And and that is much of the work um, that we try to do here at All Places Together. And that's really the the kind of crux of what this particular series is about this leaning into our core affirmation that God loves us. However we are and with this particular Mm -hmm. conversation that God loves us when we are using alcohol and drugs, when we are abusing them, when Mm -hmm. we are addicted to them and when we are in recovery too. Mm -hmm. And that when we're able, to to share that and be vulnerable with our stories and experience the grace I think and forgiveness it makes us it makes it easier for us to share that with others and I think that's where you can really like grow and develop yes
1: it is really difficult work together as a community we have to be willing to put aside our judgment and I've also learned that most of the time when we're judging other people, there's a piece of us that is judging ourselves. Oh, preach, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And so the, the more compassion I have for myself and my stumbles and my mistakes and my difficulties in life, the more compassion I have for other people, the more I'm able to see other people created in the same image of God that I am. And that's, I think, the really significant work not only of recovery but also of christian discipleship mm-hmm. is that we we talk a lot about loving our neighbor but the loving ourselves part seeing ourselves as beloved children of god is sometimes harder
0: it is for me yes
1: yeah yeah because i can love someone else and i can see god in someone else but gosh really i no it's not it's not the same for me and i don't know why we do that to ourselves <laughs> Maybe that's our sinfulness. Um,
0: I know it's, it's heartbreaking. Like it's, it's heartbreaking to think that I can hear a story of someone else's. I mean, even as you were just sharing about this mom, I don't know what this mom did. I don't know what happened, but my heart is like going out to them and like feeling for Mm -hmm. them and hoping that they have found a way forward from that. But like, boy, I stay up at night worrying about the mistakes that I have said or the mean things that I have mm-hmm. done. And yeah, it's very complicated. It's something I'm working
1: on. It is. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, I think the work of recovery is also the work of, re- of the church. Mm-hmm. Not so much that everyone needs to stop drinking or stop doing drugs, although I support those ide- those not ideas, those <laughs> actions, because the clear-mindedness that comes from reducing or stopping substance abuse is transformative. Yeah. This work of recovery, though, comes down to, for me, from a faith perspective, really acknowledging that, yes, I am worthy of God's love, just as I am. And living my life in a way that reflects that and reflects that love for my neighbor through that compassion and that lack of judgment. Starting with myself, which sounds backwards, but when I think about Jesus and the way he forgave sins and one of my favorite stories, the woman at the well and uh, the woman who was caught in adultery, right? Those are individual encounters that then went on to affect the larger communities. And I don't think we take enough time in church to really respond and acknowledge those individual encounters of forgiveness and compassion and lack of judgment so that then we can live that out in community.
0: I agree with that. And I think those individual transformation stories, you just see how it how it ripples out, like how love and grace and peace and justice can can move Mm -hmm. from one person into a whole community but it takes the time and the work and that and and having that experience and Jesus is like a miracle worker right he's the son of God on earth and like (laughs) Jesus just does all of this like in a snap and often for those of us living in the modern age like these things take a lot more time, right? It's mm-hmm. days, weeks, mm-hmm. months, years of of going through it. And yes. that's not to say that you're not doing, uh, you know, acts of love and grace for your neighbor in the meantime, um, throughout that process. But right, but tending to yourself, that self love and that self care, is so important for everything else that you do.
1: Mm-hmm. And it it can be painful work. Yes. To really face those parts of ourselves that we're ashamed of or we wish weren't part of ourselves. And in doing that in my own work, I have found so much comfort in God's faithfulness to me and the fact that I'm baptized. And so in that baptism, I have opportunity to grow, and there are tasks that i'm assigned to and within that there is community and there is individual relationship that then ripples out and remembering my baptism and trusting in that comforting advocating counseling presence of the holy spirit have really sustained me being in recovery has deepened my faith in a way that i haven't experienced since I was a teenager. And it was the least expected (laughs) side effect of recovery (laughs) for me because I thought my faith was fine.
0: Yeah, like you were a pastor, right? Like, I mean, two years ago you were a pastor, you were like doing it,
1: yeah. Yeah, but the depth of my relationship with Christ at this point is something I don't remember experiencing except for when I was a teenager and just super on fire for Jesus. You know, that teenage enthusiasm Yeah, when you're going to camp and you're in the youth group and doing all the things. So that depth of faithfulness and that relationship with Jesus has really come from this opportunity to look at myself in the mirror and say, here's where I've gone wrong, but here's where there's new life, and I'm going to start walking toward that new life. And it has been utterly transformative for all of my relationships i'm sure wow there's so much to
0: unpack there but <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I would love to be able to um wrap up our conversation today with shifting kind of in particular to the bible yeah. we've talked about a few different stories along the way but i wonder if there's a particular verse or portion of hebrew poetry That has really been meaningful to you along your journey, along your walking towards new life.
1: Yes. So this is a few verses that I've carried with me for quite a while. When I was doing my clinical pastoral education, I was on call one day at the hospital and it was a Sunday and there was an inpatient rehab facility at this hospital and I was in charge of chapel that day. So I can only say that it was guided by the Holy Spirit, that I turned to the book of Lamentations for that worship service. And we talked together about chapter three, verses 17 through 24. And the author of Lamentations says, I've rejected peace, I've forgotten what is good. I thought my future is gone, as well as my hope from the Lord. The memory of my suffering and homelessness is bitterness and poison. I can't help but remember and am depressed. I call all this to mind, therefore I will wait. Certainly the faithful love of the Lord hasn't ended. Certainly God's compassion isn't through. They are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I think the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll wait for him. And I preached a message about how god's mercy is renewed every morning and that no matter what we've done what we've said what's in our past that every morning we get a new start one of the common phrases in recovery is one day at a time Mm, mm -hmm. the way you get to two years sober is one day at a time sometimes one minute sometimes one hour and you win the day if you wake up sober and you go to bed sober and if there is a misstep along the way, God's mercies are still new every morning. Yes. I had no idea how that short devotion to an experience that I wasn't in at that juncture of my life now holds so much meaning and understanding about where God shows up and how God shows up and what we are given each day something brand new to try again to continue on a journey to move one more step one more day one more section of the path toward new life
0: i got goosebumps as you (laughs) were reading that and as you're sharing because i just i also what i really heard in that scripture today too was that like we do remember when things were better or when things seem to be healthier or whatever. And it's okay for us to be depressed and angry and like frustrated in situations and that God Mm -hmm. sees that and is with us in that. And just that phrase of like, I'll wait, like I'll be here. Like, and, and, and I'll be here and God's gonna be here too, or God is here too. And that just that, I think the acknowledgement of the full spectrum of what it means to be in an experience, hardship, whatever that looks like, um, whether it's addiction or uh, mental illness or financial insecurity or times of homelessness, like relationship, all of these things um, that we have a whole breadth of experience and emotion in them. And God is there too. Yes. And that there can be a new day. Absolutely. Meg, I so appreciate you taking time to be with us today to share from your vulnerability and from your experience and to really bring hope to each of us that God is with us however we are and that God is bringing a new day for us. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you, Colleen. It has been a joy to connect with you here and I'm really excited about the work that All Places Together is doing, and I'm so happy to have joined you in this work today.
0: Thank you. And so, I am hopeful that uh, folks, someone who is listening to this, is maybe going to hear, you know, a voice of hope for themselves, and that maybe they'll want to reach out to you um, or seek a different type of assistance if their relationship with alcohol or another substance has become unhealthy. Um, So how can people get connected with you and are there other resources that we should uh, be able to share with folks who might find themselves struggling today?
1: So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at SoberCoachMeg. You can find me on Facebook at The Well Recovery and Life Coaching and you can email me coachmegclap at gmail.com. And I do have a few other resources that I can recommend. One is called The Luckiest Club. It's an online community, co-ed, lots of different meetings, opportunities for anyone just starting to explore sobriety or who are further along the way of sobriety. A really great support group. It has a little bit of a programmatic element, but uh, not quite as Uh, stringent as Alcoholics Anonymous. And then the other one that is personally my favorite is Sober Mom Squad. It is niche for people who identify as women and who identify as moms who are exploring the sober free life or who consider themselves sober. That also has online meetings. There's a free meeting every Wednesday and you can find them online. They're all over the place. And then If you are curious about this and want to learn more about the spectrum of sobriety and alcohol use and things like that just search the hashtag sober on TikTok or Instagram and you'll find all sorts of creators doing really great stuff uh, educating and encouraging folks in this process.
0: Thank you for sharing your contact information and these resources as well. I hope that uh, folks who are ready to take a step forward with this are able to find the help and support that they need for the journey along the way. Me too, thank you so much. Thanks, Meg. A Prayer for Serenity by Reinhold Niebuhr. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. A big thank you to all of our guests who have joined us over the course of this series, Olive to Tov. Thank you to Emily, Carrie, Bob, Elizabeth, and Meg. Your stories, wisdom, and hope have inspired me to trust more deeply that God is truly with me, however I am. And more than just God's presence, I am reminded that I am never alone because there are people today and people in the past who have struggled, wondered, and hoped like me. And through the Spirit, we're all connected. Here's another quick plug for the Pride Worship Service of the Virginia Synod. It's happening next Sunday, June 26th at 7 p.m. on Zoom. I'm one of the contributing leaders, and I'll be running the tech that night, too, and i just love for y'all to join us. The Zoom link is on the Virginia Synod Facebook page, and I'll link the event page in the show notes below, too. Hope to see you there. I am ever grateful to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and supporters like you who share generously with all places together. Your financial contributions enable this podcast to happen and for the love of God to spread around the world. If you've not made a gift before and you'd like to, you can give through our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says give to all places together. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. I know it can be hard to give financially, and I just celebrate all of the ways that you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life, and engage with the APT community throughout the week. One of my favorite things to see is where y'all actually listen to the podcast, right? We come alongside you wherever you are, but where is that place? So, If you're not behind a wheel of a vehicle listening to me right now, would you take a photo of a screenshot and share where you're listening from in a post or a story and tag all places together? If you'd rather just send it to me as a direct message, that would be great too. Let's see all of the wherevers of our community this week. And until next time, remember that God loves you wherever, whoever, and however you are.